in the past, I think that there was much more opportunity for somebody to be, you know, a really, really good UX designer who then worked with a really, really good UI designer who then worked with, you know, a front end engineer who, you know, may have some design skills. And I think that what's maybe not changed so much, like the process absolutely has changed. The expectations of collaboration, you're absolutely right. But I feel like this notion that, you know, we have to be shallow T-shaped rather than like, you know, deeply almost like I-shaped designers um, is is quite an interesting one. I, I'm still not convinced um, that it's necessarily the right way to go. Today, I'm talking to Christopher Burr, design lead at Impala. Impala is a remote first B2B startup in travel industry in Europe. We talk about Chris's journey in the design world and some key takeaways from his career. We also discuss the pros and cons of hiring generalists versus specialists and um, some consequences of these decisions and why so many companies, especially startups, look for unicorns. Chris shares what kind of side projects he finds more valuable in portfolio and gives some tips on how to design your resume and case study structure and many more useful tips on getting a job in UX. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for, for taking time and joining me on this episode. It's a real pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Let's start with your overview of, of your current role and the company and um, what do you do there? Yeah, so right now I am heading up the product design team at Travel Startup Impala. Um, we're uh, a B2B uh, API platform company working in the hotel space, um, which brings its own unique challenges um, around, you know, how do you, how do you incorporate design um, and also just building out a team. Um, so whilst my, my job title is nominally design lead, um, I'm also responsible for scaling the team up, deciding on, you know, uh, how we approach our, our design tasks and looking at kind of a lot of process and uh and interdepartmental uh ways of working sounds cool and uh where are you located uh well so impala is a remote first company uh i'm currently based in uh well I usually make the joke of sunny edinburgh in scotland <laughs> it's uh quite gloomy right now but hey you know leaning into the the scottish brand right there um but i mean we we have people uh all over europe um, which I think is is a really great way to bring a lot of different uh, perspectives into the team. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, having more flexible policies on diversity of locations and cultures definitely br can bring more value from the uh, from the diverse point of view perspective. Love Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about your story, and um, I want to know why did you decide to go this way and uh, do design uh, for. Uh, as a part of your role and uh, yeah so t t tell me how, how did you get started in the industry yeah so um, as a kid I, I was always drawing um, rather than uh, <laughs> rather than drawing necessarily like pictures of you know uh, meadows and uh, families and everything I used to draw uh, data sheets for cars and you know very uh, intricate typography uh, hand hand lettered a logo so you know maybe from that age design was kind of an obvious path but for me I, I had no idea what to do once I left school and ended up falling into uh, a graphic design course at my uh, my local college uh, ostensibly because uh, in a choice between illustration and design 
uh, whilst I loved illustration, uh, I didn't want to do what I loved um, as a as a day job. Um, there we go. I ended up doing exactly that. Um, but yeah, from from there, like uh, like graphic design for me, you know, was the closest analog to the the way that I like to to be creative. And my understanding of, uh, of UX design as a as a direction was I, I had no idea it was there. So after I graduated, um, I ended up going off and working at a newspaper, and uh, starting off producing. Um, a wonderful uh, acronym BMDs, births, marriages, and deaths. Uh, so tiny little um, three centimeter square uh, adverts that go into the newspaper and talk about you know, so and so's got married. Um, and from there, really kind of scaled up, uh, doing more print work, moving into uh, the the digital market and newspaper. And you know, this was back in the day when uh, when flash adverts were a thing. Um, and it was really that kind of digital work that pushed me to learn more about computers, to learn more about uh, web design and producing, you know, something that was more than just like a little banner to actually produce the websites that these banners went on. Um, I got really lucky that a friend of mine from college owned a computer shop down the road and he had a web web developer in residence. And that was really my, my first opportunity to start designing websites. Um, and this was back in the day when, you know, this was all done in Photoshop and um, hand, handing over was sending over a JPEG. Um, but from from there and really building up that experience of, of doing live projects and, you know, putting as much gloss and filters on a button as I could manage, um, I got my my break working at a, a marketing agency um, to, to join as a graphic designer, but actually ended up doing a lot of wireframing ux and and build as well um and you know this is not anything that's going to necessarily put a proper web developer to shame but building uh building wordpress sites sitting down with clients and discussing you know the usability of their uh of their website um and i think that kind of gradual move from from graphic design into ux design uh, continued through to my role at skyscanner amazing opportunity where I got to work with a lot of other um, a lot of other designers, initially doing like UI design. You know, again, the the old processes that look so uh, embarrassing now, um, where you know we we get the wireframes from from one team on the other side of the building, we'd add our our layer on top. But uh, I think that the big break was working with uh, with the amazing uh, Brian and Steph Rieger, uh, who who joined uh, the design team and really kind of upended what it meant to be a designer. And I think that was where my my passion for what I suppose is now product design really came across. Um, so they they really pushed the idea that designers should be working hand in glove with engineers, that we should be understanding the opportunities of our medium. So whether that's web or native, um, we did start working with uh, with Angular um, and coding. I mean, this this was also the the, the period of time where. Uh, the, the unicorn designer was a thing and, you know, hey, designers should be coding the front end. Um, and whilst, you know, like, uh, obviously I, I don't think I have an idea of like what a designer should do, but for me, I, I really enjoyed that, like getting a chance to to have much more of an engagement with the engineers and my team. And I, I cut my teeth working with an amazing, uh, amazing UX designer, Jackie Hunter. Um, and, you know, we, we really complemented each other. So I learned so much about UX design from her. Um, I was looking after the the UI on like the the core part of the Skyscanner website, um, the the results view, um, and yeah, really kind of like working with the engineers there to to rummage around in the front end code, um, 
hand in the air. I did accidentally crash conversion for the uh, the hotel part of the website once. That's uh, yeah. If you've ever done an interview and you've had that, like, what is the biggest mistake you've made? <laughs> that is absolutely the answer that I would give. Um, but yeah, like that that to me, like that that working with other people and learning from them has been the kind of fundamental tent pegs of of when. I've seen my career develop and when I've kind of gone from, you know, thinking I, you know, I'm going to work in this way to learning that there are other ways of working and fast forwarding from, from there, from Skyscanner through to, uh, to Calusa and working in the energy market and now Impala. Um, I, I've seen kind of my, my career develop from the, the more I see like, you know, doing stuff, um, role into to mentoring, coaching and managing, um, and then really thinking about like, how does a design team work? Um, but I think for me, like always, always trying to question, you know, how is the best way to work and, um, how should I be learning from others is, is the way that I've tried to, to think so that I can really update and, and keep my skills current. Yeah. That sounds, uh, yeah. Lots of, lots of back there, especially like the flash memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I of, would, yeah. Definitely, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> it definitely resonated and uh, brought some memories. Uh, and it's kind of interesting how I feel like maybe my, my personal expectation, but the way you describe it, like I think we're aligned here, that the the expected process and really how to design things have changed so much since that like, phase of the industry. But now it's kind of really hard to imagine uh, how we used to do it like the other way, the the non-collaborative way, so to say, like it's a bit more siloed and just kind of, yeah, throwing the wireframes to the other team and like the other team takes care of it. So it's, like this approach sounds, uh, feels very incorrect today, but we used to, like it was the norm there uh, mm. at that time, right? So it's kind of interesting how things change. Uh, but yeah, like sounds like that you really went through many different steps and different industries and different roles, and um, yeah, kind of interesting to to hear how how your even your personal definition of what designer is and what it like what the the value designer can bring uh, has been maturing over these years. But it's pretty cool. I, I think it would be it would be pertinent to kind of touch on some of what you were saying around you know the maybe not the waterfall part of it, but the, the specialisms part of design. So in the past, I think that there was much more opportunity for somebody to be, you know, a really, really good UX designer who then worked with a really, really good UI designer who then worked with, you know, a front end engineer who, you know, may have some design skills. And I think that what's maybe not changed so much, like the process absolutely has changed. The expectations of collaboration, you're absolutely right. But I feel like this notion that, you know, we have to be shallow T-shaped rather than like, you know, deeply almost like I-shaped designers um, is is quite an interesting one. I, I'm still not convinced um, that it's necessarily the right way to go. I, I think that absolutely the way that people collaborate, the way people um, take ownership of a project and work together has changed fundamentally. And I'm really glad, you know, part of that's tools-based, part of that's the maturity of design as a discipline. But I, I worry that we're losing the space for really, really strong specialists. And I think that decoupling the the notion that, you know, you, you have a team who works well together and who is, who is strongly aligned with the idea that a designer, you, you know, you should be able to take a designer and put them on 
any project in the company and they should be able to work in exactly the same way and they should be able to pick up you know everything from uh you know service design through to ui design mm-hmm. is a little worrying there's always room for these kinds of uh, roles and uh, you know as somebody who ostensibly aspires to be that kind of designer I, you know i'd hope that, that role continues to exist but i think that we shouldn't we shouldn't punish people who go really deep and do really well at one thing because actually it's a massive loss to a company if you don't have those people because there are always going to be very specific problems and i think it's it's a responsibility of a good manager a good leader of a design team to first of all know if they need that kind of person and then to to put them to the best use um if they find that they've got those kind of people yeah and i think this is this is a great insight i completely agree um i have also mixed feelings on this t-shaped or now it's i think like <laughs> m-shaped or like w-shaped like whatever like multiple <laughs> piece, uh, in one spectrum um uh, reality and like expectations so and i actually thought about this a while ago and i was kind of curious i was questioning like why this is happening like really curious to understand the the underlying reasons for that and I talked to quite a few companies and uh, quite a few, I guess, hiring managers who, uh, or recruiters who would be really kind of uh, more involved in the, in the role definition and job descriptions and all this stuff to really understand like why this is happening. And my conclusion so far is that it's just the like the the market the new market reality when many more companies start. And like it's, it's been happening for the last few years, obviously. Um, uh, and it's also a good thing on the other hand. So the more companies realize that they need designers and more companies really kind of get into this this uh, market of hiring their first designer. And in most cases, those companies are, especially with the startups and all this kind of the tech boom, right? So they just need one person who can do everything. And uh, with the hope that maybe if the, if the company succeeds and it starts growing, they will be able to expand the team. But the vast majority of the openings that I've seen like in smaller markets like Vancouver, where, where I'm from, and uh, actually quite a few cities in, in, uh, in the States, especially the Silicon Valley, when the number of startups like exceeds anything else, uh, exceeds the number of people, I guess, <laughs> living there, um, it's, uh, it's not surprising that uh, these companies, are just obviously they're on a budget. So they cannot really hire like really deep specialists. And because if you need to, if you go with the specialist route, right, you would have to have multiple people in this team who would own each of those verticals uh, across like the whole design spectrum, design process spectrum. So I like I empathize with their situation that they want to get like one person who can do everything. Uh, some would do everything, but like at least some specialty in, in a field. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just kind of the market reacts to that. It's now like the, the demand is higher for, for those folks who, who like from A to Z, like the whole thing. And obviously you cannot be a deep expert in every single stage step of the process, uh, at the same time. So it's kind of, yeah, I don't think it's realistic to expect that, but it kind of like this inside this realization. And after I talked to, to those folks, um, kind of. Help me empathize a bit more with why this is happening, at least. Mm. Um, and I, I, am I happy about this? I, I, I'm not sure that I am, but it's kind of also understandable why this is happening. And um, the secondary trend that I have seen, um, obviously not every company, but some of those uh, companies who start with one person whom, whom they expect to do everything, 
is that like as soon as it starts growing, um, this person, and assuming that that they they're senior enough to kind of know what they're doing, uh, they would start building this practice and this design team within the team, and actually going a bit more specialized in some cases. Uh, lots of uh, like the big trend that I'm seeing right now, especially with all these online content companies, like when it's just like a part of every company now becomes uh, this marketing piece with content. So, and like also the UX writing for the products, right? So it's content strategy and UX writer is like one of those specialties in addition to user research, uh, whom I, I, I actually seen quite a few companies hires dedicated uh, specialists for that, which frankly i love because ux writing is not my primary strength which but it should be i mean it should be like a much much i should be much better here but that uh, yeah i agree like it's definitely the the bigger market trend is that t-shaped is the is the way to go like lots of companies hire for this but with the time those companies they kind of progress and mature uh to to realize the value of this of having like a deeper specialty in different fields and uh, yeah, it's slower. Obviously, it's kind of more delayed um, uh, change, but uh, it's happening. It's happening. I kind of, I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic on that. Uh, but I agree. I agree. Like it feels better when you work with like deep experts in in different fields. And obviously, they're not like completely ignorant to everything that happens outside of their expertise. Uh, but definitely, yeah. And it's easy to build trust when you're just definitely the expert. Uh, in this particular uh, vertical, that's totally true. No, I agree, and and I think it a lot of the issue as well stems from the ratios that you have within any kind of company. So, if it's you know like say four product managers, two designers, and you know seventy or eighty engineers, yeah. like if you bring in an engineer and you're like, okay, uh, I need this person to to do really well in this area. Um, if that problem goes away or if the company focus shifts, you can usually repurpose that person. You've got a broad enough team that you can kind of balance and, and relearn. If you've got one designer or two designers um, and you've brought in somebody who has a very strong UX focus and then you suddenly need to revamp the UI. Um, no, this is not something um, that, that can be done overnight. This is not something where you have to, um, you know, hey, you know, we'll just do this job and then that's that's it done. Like UI design done right requires somebody to to be able to understand a lot of like how a good UI is put together um but you know if that's a whole new hire like you know you've reached your hiring budget for designers um then it's a bigger ask to add one more designer into that team that is to add one more engineer um so like i i can understand why teams want to have somebody t-shaped because it's better to have somebody who uh can do like four things than than three things you know that's like <laughs> bang for your buck um but i think i would question you know like companies certainly like scale-ups and startups should understand uh from a market point of view where they're going to have impact like is it about a highly usable product is it about a highly attractive product um you know especially for like a an api company and we're starting to see a lot of you know what were companies who produced a product now thinking more about like fundamentally like powering a platform powering an api is somebody who can, you know, think about the service part of things, like, are they going to be more valuable overall? Um, and I think a lot of it stems from the fact that, you know, you talked about like a company making their first design hire, like the person who has to make that decision, the person who has to write the job description, who has to do the, the interviews, um, is going to be basing a lot of their decisions about like designs or designers they've worked with in the past. Um, 
there's there's something that says you know like um whoever design reports into like whoever the most senior person design reports into is ultimately the head of design um and i think that's a really fair point it's like you know, you can have a company where there's like, a, a, you know, four senior designers, two junior designers, and somebody who is ostensibly like a director. But if they're reporting into the head of product, then product ultimately decides the direction of design. Um, and I think that, you know, that that can really affect the perception of, uh, of where that, that designer is going to start working, because somebody can be T-shaped, um, and they can be weaker, maybe in like, you know, product planning, it could be weaker in front end. And what's naturally going to happen is the engineers and the product managers are just going to fill that gulf. And that person is going to, you know, theoretically be a T-shaped designer, but they're actually going to occupy a much smaller part of that uh, that surface area than if they'd hired for the very specific problem that design is solving. And we're able to think about their end-to-end process in that way. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that whilst T-shaped looks like an attractive thing when you're writing a, a job spec and you know if anybody's written one it's a, a lot easier to to add things than it is to remove them um but yeah i think that's something i've i've found uh thinking through all your previous steps and learnings what you wish you knew when if you were to start a career today like what kind of key takeaways from the industry from i guess different roles maybe some red flags or any tips that you could share here yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one for me to be doling out advice. Like, I, I'm not going to beat around the bush. You know, I'm an English-speaking straight white guy. Like, my my uh, path in uh, in design uh, or in the tech industry is is very much like influenced by by that kind of uh, you know, and it's always going to give me an easier time than a lot of different people from from other backgrounds. And it's something which I've you know, people have asked me this question before, like, hey, you know, what, what advice would you give me? Like, what tips are there? And I think the part that I find really difficult is separating um, separating luck, uh, luck of the draw from actual tangible steps. Um, certainly, I think the things that have advanced me in my career have been like always trying to find new ways to apply what I, what I was interested in. You know, like as I was saying, like going from um, a newspaper where everybody else, you know, was, was, uh, were certainly stronger designers than me but not people who are necessarily as interested in like trying new things or picking up uh, new technologies and you know certainly we're, we're in a world where uh, we have blockchain we have you know all the web3 kind of technologies and you know, whilst i'll certainly stake my my side of things i think the whole crypto uh, industry is uh, concerning at best <laughs> um i do also think that you know having somebody who like being a person who is interested in, in understanding technology and interested in thinking about like how their career can change and um you know trying to always learn new things is going to really do well if you can find a way to apply that in an existing role um i think it's a very different thing if you're learning exclusively of the role you're in you know i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't say that a piece of good advice and thing that you know um would have stood me in better stead was trying to learn things independently of a job i think you can be in a position in a company and say like how can i learn things which will improve uh, my standing in the company learn things which will improve uh the the business but i'm not sure that doing that kind of learning independently and then trying to pitch that in interviews would have been as successful um and so I think about like a lot of the effort and that I put into like, you know, building building websites for fun or designing websites for fun. Like as much as it was uh, 
to sound really nerdy, therapeutic to write CSS at one in the morning. Um, I don't think that that's something that I would say to people. Like, don't burn yourself out doing personal projects. Think about how you can show that you excel in your current role. Yeah, I think it's definitely a great advice. And uh, I've heard this a lot, this, I guess, similar note from many hiring managers and many recruiters who interview for designers, that any real work experience will beat any of the side projects. And obviously there is a huge value to the side projects. Like I, 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 I'm on the, on the fence here because I feel that, yeah, it's not as, as like, it's not the same. It, it doesn't bring the same value to your profile as a potential candidate from their point of view. But on the other hand, I've heard that some people actually, and I agree with this, they perceive the side projects as a, as a signal that you're a, a doer and not a talker. That basically, if you see a problem, and especially if you if it's not like some hypothetical imaginary project, but like a real problem that you're trying to solve with this side project, then it's 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 yeah, it's pretty good signal that that if you see something's broken within the company, if they hire you, that you will not uh, just miss it, and you will kind of you will at least try to attempt to do something, and it's really kind of more like bias for action, as uh, some companies call it, um, which many companies actually appreciate especially with like the startup mentality and like they kind of really you don't know what what kind of role you'll be doing tomorrow just because you have like multiple hats um, uh, that you have to uh, to to work as and um, yeah so i agree but like again like it's it's kind of catch 22 with uh, how do you get the like the especially for junior folks how can you really show this uh, that you can excel at your current job if you haven't got one yet <laughs> No, it's it's an absolutely fair piece of criticism, and um, I, I I absolutely agree with you as well around the types of projects you do. Um, I think you know if if your folio is full of people who've redesigned Spotify, redesigned Facebook, yeah. like that, you know that's that's not design work. That's uh, that's usually a very controversial statement here. I apologize to anybody who does this and <laughs> enjoys it, but like I would say that in the majority of cases, that's more of a, a piece of artwork than it is necessarily a design task because you know you're you're not working with the constraints, you're not working with something where uh, you know you understand the research and all that sort of thing, um, and you know that might produce a really nice piece of uh, visual design work, but I don't think that that's going to be something where uh, you know as a hiring manager you're going to look at that and say, oh great, you know that's better than the Facebook that is this right now. I think that as you say, if you've gone off and you've done a side project that's like. Um, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to, uh, I, I find it really hard to find my bank cards. So like I tried to, you know, uh, in, a, in a week, think of a design that helps me find my bank cards. Um, like not every problem has to be solved with an app. And I think that's something that, you know, it, worldwide we should think about. And that, like, if somebody is trying to solve a problem independently of Figma or, uh, you know, any kind of like visual design app, then I think that that's kind of like, that's that's a way to show that you can you can think about problems um and you know like if we think about things that you've solved in your own in your world like you don't have to be successful if you've gone to like your uh, your manager at uh, the the uh, graphic design studio or coffee shop you work at and said hey you know here's an idea for something and they've said uh, you know no we're not doing that we don't have budget for it like that's that's not an indication of your failure like you still went off and did that thing but like you're you're aware of the constraints the limitations you know you've produced something uh which is uh, a solution to a problem you've identified and i think that's a lot more tangible 
for me, like to be able to say like, hey, you know, you are in there and you kind of, you found a way to learn about this problem and provide a solution than necessarily that you managed to get buy-in and somebody, you know, went ahead and did it. Um, certainly like, a, you know, if you're at the start of your career, um, I don't think anybody's going to judge you for having ideas that don't get buy-in. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's, and I've heard this so many times for, from different hiring managers um, that like all these redesigns of Facebooks and everything is such a, uh, yeah, not, not a not the type of project that uh, those people appreciate to see or they would find value when evaluating a potential candidate. So definitely, uh, most people they're looking for problem solving, like real problem solving that would really also illustrate what the person cares about, right? So it's gonna, for yeah. example, if you try to solve something for uh, one of the values that you believe in, like sustainability or diversity or like all those kind of uh, more, I guess, high level and more. Uh, strategic ones um, uh, that kind of also indicates that you care about this. And if there is alignment between the company values and and the candidate, that kind of gives you extra point instead of like redesigning a Facebook app or like Nike app or something like that. And yeah, yeah. maybe maybe if you're uh, you're re redesigning Facebook to not uh, incite violence and uh, <laughs> Discord, you know, like that yes. that's an awesome yes. thing. If you like, but you know that that's. I think that's very divorced from the idea of just like taking the existing UI and you know yeah. re repainting it with whatever the current like uh, glass morphic trend happens to be. Yeah, you're totally right. Like redesign as a as a word describing the kind of project is probably not not the the best and clear word because it could be redesigned with the with a I guess some mission in mind, like like as you say, like really that doesn't incite violence uh, among users and doesn't increase the the depression rates uh, in in the country among uh, girls or something like that so that would be an interesting project actually to 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 to, to look at and to to see how the person approaches the problem um yeah i agree with that let's talk about a bit more the tactical questions uh, and um thinking from the hiring manager point of view like when you as a as a leader of your team and maybe in the previous roles as well, when you were involved in interviewing uh, job seekers uh, as a designer, and um, maybe even, like made the decisions on like on the, the hires, uh, what does a good resume look like to you? Yeah, so I I think this is this is a matter of uh, designers designing resumes because you have to understand the the um, the constraints that the person you're sending it to is offering under. Um, so I, I, I read something really great. Um, it was a, um, a tweet by, by uh, Gergé Orosh uh, about uh, how hiring works at like Google versus uh, hiring at a startup. So Google, you know, like their attrition rates are high enough that just to stay afloat, they've got to hire thousands of people every year. Um, and actually their processes are very much like, hey, let's just get people through the door, have a standardized process. Um, so, you know, if you're sending over CVs, like, you know, you, you've got to fit in a, a box very well, but you've probably got a team of like, you know, there's a, a hiring ops person and there's a you know recruiter internally who's dealing with that. And, you know, maybe there's more opportunity to to tailor that CV to really kind of stand out and, you know, make it clear. Whereas if you're if you're applying to a startup or a scale up, you know, um, you've got one person in there and they are reviewing hundreds of candidates. And I think about the last role that I, I uh, I posted and, you know, fundamentally there are so many talented people out there, but if I have to work to find that out on your CV, 
then it like it makes my life a lot harder um and like i'm doing my job at the same time so um i think about like the the cvs that um i really struggle with were the ones where uh whether through like formatting of the tool they used it wasn't possible to click a link on the pdf to go to their website their website's not really immediately obvious um experience is is not really clearly structured so like i know above the fold is kind of like a, a contentious topic in web design in in cv design above the fold is really important for me because you know if i can scan a cv or sort of resume if you're if you're outside the uh, the uk um and and you know say like hey there's the website right i'll open that in the background you know what is their experience how long have they been working where they've been working you know for me that's that's really valuable and uh it's it's quite a kind of emotional thing of being able to like oh you know great this is a an application which i can really quickly get into the meat of what somebody's looking at um and i think like it's all personal preference when it comes down to the content i'm sure every every designer who's asked like you know aspiring to uh to to interview somewhere has read you know things that say hey put all your thinking on this or you know hey you know just show the pictures of what you've done or hey you know say about the team that you worked with um so it, it's pretty much rolling the dice on what the person who's uh, who's interviewing or reviewing your, your folio is going to be looking for. But like for me, it's kind of a pyramid. Like, first of all, I just want to see if they're, you know, they can lay out a screen properly. So like nice, big, easy to view images of the application you've worked on. Um, absolutely core to me. Like if I can see that straight away, I know like, hey, this person is at least competent. And like, you know, it's, it's dependent on the uh, the seniority you're recruiting for as well. Um, but, you know, starting off with that pyramid, like, hey, if I look at this project you've done, you know, do you know how to do this? After that, it's a matter of understanding the role in it, because, you know, unless you're a dishonest person, if you've worked in a team, you're going to say, right, OK, you know, I worked with a service designer on this and then we did this part. We did some interviews with a user researcher like that's the next kind of part of the pyramid and understanding, you know, do they work well with others? Did they work with others? Or, hey, amazingly, did they do this whole end to end project by themselves? And I think that's, you know, after you've got through those kind of like very basic things, that's when you can afford the time to maybe read a little bit about like, oh, you know, how did you do this? What did you do? Um, you know, how did you maybe hand off that work to others in your team? And again, that's a matter of, uh, you know, seniority of the role. Like if you're looking at somebody at the junior end, um, odds are, you know, it's a very kind of like prescriptive process. They've maybe done a little bit of what they're told to by the product manager. That's absolutely fine. Like, you know, we all start somewhere. Um, versus a senior where you're probably expecting them to be able to take on a lot more ownership, a lot more kind of like pushback on the requirements. Maybe the the whole project kind of came about through some user research that they either ran or worked with a researcher on. But yeah, for me, like if I see some work and, you know, certainly if I'm recruiting for somebody who's able to do um, the whole kind of, I hate the term full stack, but you know, somebody who can see a project through from like a wireframe to, to front end, then, if they can't do a piece of like good looking product, then it doesn't matter if they've, you know, documented their end-to-end -end process with adorable little like sketches in a sketchbook, which a hundred percent weren't done after the fact. Um, <laughs> because like you've, you've got to show the basics to start with. Um, that's pretty cool. So that kind of spilled over into the portfolio expectations, right? Yeah. About the well, I mean, like design is a visual subject, you know, whether like even if you're a service designer, you still got to show the artifacts and things that you've created. And like, I, I think most of the, the things that you judge somebody on are are in like the, the artifacts of portfolio, whether that portfolio is a PDF 
uh, or whether it's a website. You know, like I'm, I'm not judging, I think, on like pe- everybody seems to think, oh, you know, I've got to redesign my portfolio. I need to make a bespoke website. Um, I think the truth of the matter is like if you want to use Figma, if you want to use one of the off the shelf portfolio tools, power to you. Like that's great. Um, ultimately, it's the content that matters. Um, maybe don't load like one of the things that I've really struggled with is somebody who uh, who had something like four, you know, 44 megabyte images. Um, and that definitely took a while to load. But, um, you know, if, if you can if you can use a tool off the shelf, great. Like I'm not expecting you to code unless, you know, that's in the job description. And um, yeah, I, what makes a good portfolio? One one fundamental rule that I will put out there solely because I experienced this with one candidate is don't steal stuff. Don't don't pass off other people's design as your own, especially in a very private Google Slides doc, because, you know, you've done it um, because I, I fundamentally will uh, reverse image search stuff like that. And yeah, just don't do that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely a big ethical red flag. If a person does something like this, that's yeah, not not recommending doing this. Or even like I mean, misrepresenting your role uh, when you work in a team, right? So that happens a lot, actually. Um, especially what I've seen like with junior folks, like especially when they have like a, a team project, but they kind of minimize the roles of others. And it looks like there's like everybody, they did everything themselves, which um, when you start asking questions, that's actually not the reality. And kind of a bit uh, misleading at, le- at, at the very least. And also quite... Yeah, uh, harms the the image and the and potentially the reputation factor. And uh, how can you trust this person uh, with the next project? Like if they uh, are not completely transparent with with some basics like that. Yeah, no, I mean absolutely. And like if you're applying for the you know that that first designer position and you're getting interviewed by a non-designer, you know maybe maybe that works. But if you're applying into a team or if you're you know if you're speaking to another designer, um being able to work together being able to to collaborate is a fundamental part of any role and actually like you should be bigging up the fact that especially at the junior level that you worked with others you should be really showing that you're not somebody who uh you know disappears into figma for a week and, and emerges at the other end with some screens like <laughs> I, that you know to me like as as a junior you should be saying hey you know uh i managed to uh to sit down for you know 30 minutes every week with uh the senior or lead on this project and you know i went off and chatted to the product manager and hey you know fair enough all these designs are just like based on stuff that they suggested but they're consistent they're coherent and i learned all this stuff like to me that would be a very like humble kind of person who can say i learned all this stuff and i made a better design as a result of it yeah i agree expectations of a of a junior uh, entry-level folks is definitely more focused on the learning and like that they are open to learning and they uh, really absorbing all these new methods and um, best practices and skills and all that stuff versus the other folks uh, i mean the the high level so that's totally totally the same from my experience yeah um I really love I really love the phrase that you said about like disappearing in Figma for a week. <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll adopt this as my status in Slack uh, from time to time. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, no. just uh, yeah. What is it? Well, I mean, we've got uh, we've got the audio chat now in Figma, so uh, you know maybe it's a little bit harder to do. Cool. Okay, so um, maybe one more question uh, from the kind of interview process. Um, theme is design exercises and like take take home exercises and like the expectations that many companies have of those 
the vast majority of the interview processes processes that I have seen or have heard of is they have some kind of step to really understand how the candidate can design stuff. Like in the, it's, it could be like real time whiteboarding session or it could be take home design exercise and both options have their pros and cons. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, yeah, either of the like both of these um, bigger options, and uh, maybe maybe there is a better way. How, what do you think is the the best way to do this? Because um, both current options that I have seen there kind of exclude some segment of um, of uh, of the audience of the applicants for various reasons. So it's it's very I guess debatable topic right now and uh, at least in my on my end here and um, I'm curious to hear what you think would be a better way and what are really your overall thoughts on these yeah and I, I think this comes back to our question before about the idea of you know a t-shaped designer because you know if you've got somebody who's specialized and I think about like um, UX writers uh, for example you know the, there's a lot that you can do again aligned against seniority when you do a task to be like hey you know this is a very narrow area of the discipline and you know it's maybe a lot easier to to test you in like a you know 30 minute one hour uh, isolated session so I, I think if you're going to be doing um, any kind of design exercise and like coming out straight away and saying like take home tasks absolutely against them uh, I understand why some companies have to do them. I understand the constraints that you know that operate, and I also understand that for some candidates they're they're a red flag. Um, I don't think that I'm I have the <laughs> I don't think I have the the kind of like you know they should be banned and like put into was it room one hundred one, um, but I do think that um, yeah, understanding what you're testing if you're going to do a design task is is fundamental because it's a lot harder to uh, to do something if you don't have an idea of what good looks like, if you don't know what it is you're looking for. Like if you do a, a whiteboarding exercise, if you design exercise and it's, you know, hey, I read an article about it, so we're gonna do it this way. Then um, you're asking somebody to do a task where you don't know what success is. So I think starting backwards from what does a good candidate look like? What should their output look like? How do we know that this works? And designing your task around that output really helps you to understand the timeframes, understand the the constraints. You know, is this something we're doing in Miro? Is this something we're doing in Figma? Um, are they going to get access to the task beforehand? Should they come prepared? All these kinds of things. Um, I think the other part of it as well is that you have to accept that some candidates are going to ignore the constraints you offer. And actually, if you're doing something that's uh, that's a take home task. You can say, don't spend more than an hour on this. You can say, you know, hey, uh, this should only take you this time. People are absolutely going to uh, going to try and do more than that because, well, first of all, like, hey, I think most designers love exceeding expectations. <laughs> and also, it's a competitive market. There is no second place for a job. So that I, I think operating within that understanding and knowing that, you know, you can't create a fair playing field if it's a take-home task really pushes you into like having to do something within the constraints of like a, uh, a single session. And then you've got to think about accessibility. You know, is this something which works for people who are hard of hearing? Is it working for somebody who, uh, you know, maybe is on a bad connection? Um, as a remote first company, I think that, you know, these kinds of uh, whiteboarding exercises really need to concentrate much more on something that you can do 
without having to to draw or without having to like jump into Miro or, or Figma because um, you know trying to maintain a call and a Figma board at the same time and a, a, a poor connection um, is it, a big ask. Um, but yeah, like I, I think the reason that I'm probably like prevaricating a lot with this answer is that I don't know. I don't want to do design tasks. I feel like they're to me they're kind of an admission of failure. Like if you've not got the answers you want from somebody's folio and from the questions you're asking them, I'm not convinced you're going to get a good result from a very generalized design exercise. If it's an attempt to just have like a step in your interview process, like a thing that you can go back and say, uh, you know, here's uh, here's a really clear like example of how we know this is the right candidate. If you're a big company, maybe they're more important because you, you know you, you're interviewing a lot of people and it is massively like, hey, we've got picked between these thirty candidates who are all pretty much equal, so we want to have a lot of data points. I think at a, a startup scale up scale, I don't think they're as important because I, I just think that you know you're you're not going to get information you couldn't get from just talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But it's a really good point uh, that um, uh, you brought up about that. Uh, even if you tell them the expectations, like that, don't spend more like four hours on this or like eight hours or whatever. That lots of people will spend more time, and I've been in the shoes myself uh, early in my career, that when I could spend like the whole night before the deadline because just like I had some other commitments and like my day job and all like kind of family obligations that I just could not kind of do this uh, or like devote a specific time during the day. But thinking from the, I guess, diversity and inclusion point of view, right? So not every person would be able just physically to kind of have the the luxury of spending so much time or like more time than, than others would, right? So it's already could create this imbalance of if they have some, uh, I know, family to care about and it's already kind of minimizing their um, their the the chances that um, they could uh, win this particular step. So it's definitely lots of, I guess additional um, under the surface constraint, not constraints, but uh, issues with this approach that um, I'm sure lots of companies don't um, think about um, as much when they decide to use this method as a as a step in the process. Completely yeah. agree. Awesome. Okay, so I think that uh, that covers all the questions that I had for for this conversation for today. Um, really appreciate all the insights and um, sharing your point of view. Loved all bunch of interesting. Um, uh yeah points of view here that you shared um and if uh the last point uh the if somebody wants to to chat with you and like maybe connect uh online and uh just maybe follow what you do online um where can they find you yeah so uh i uh i think probably twitter is the best place to uh to to find me for any kind of uh like just casual chats uh so i'm uh chuckle underscore hound um i have tried to change it somebody else is uh is sitting on chris bear so <laughs> one day i'll get that uh if you work at twitter and want to give me that and you know hey uh, I'm, I'm not gonna not gonna turn it down uh obviously linkedin if you want to find me there but um i i think you know uh, just for like casual shooting the breeze twitter is always my my preference there and hey kind of trying to reclaim it back from being a, a depressing place <laughs> sounds good <laughs> Uh, sounds good, Chris. Thank you. Thank you again for your time and uh, for bringing all these insights um, to the audience. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure chatting. And I think that, you know, this is a, such a valuable topic. So uh, hopefully this uh, this has been useful to, to somebody. And 
yeah, if uh, if you ever want to talk about any of those things I brought up, I'm more than happy to cover them in more detail. Excellent. Cheers, Chris. Have a lovely day. Thank you. That's all for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you found it valuable. If you did, please share with your friends and leave a rating on iTunes. Uh, this would be a huge help. Bye, friends.